Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Sean. I'm the student family pastor, and I uh, get the joy to share the word today. And uh, we're going to walk through Philippians uh, chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 11 primarily. Um, and com- apparently, according to that video, I need a wig, so we'll have to work about that. Um, but before we dig in, I want to read a little bit to you about what's going on in Philippians, who's the author, what's taking place. Um, so here's, here's a little bit about what's happening here in Philippians. This is a letter to the Philippians as written by Paul, a zealous Jewish leader who had an encounter with Jesus that radically altered his life. His name was originally Saul and was later became Paul. Besides Jesus Christ, few have shaped the course of history as Apostle Paul did. Paul was deeply rooted in the Jewish community, and when he encountered Jesus, one would think Paul's main calling after his conversion to Jesus would be directly, primarily the audience he knew and loved the most, the Jewish people. And yet Jesus' call was for Paul to immerse himself primarily in the Gentile, non-Jewish community. He won many Jews uh, for Christ, but the focus of his ministry was primarily with the non-Jewish people. So let's hear a little bit what's taking place in Philippi. This is the first church Paul planted in Europe around 80, 50, 52, roughly in there. He planned the church on the second uh, missionary journey. Philippi was located 10 miles from the polis on the Aegean Sea. This was a main highway to the west. This was a major trading route. Um, this was a, a, a really uh, up-and-coming popular urban trade center. Uh, a lot of people were coming in, coming out. And so this church was p- planted strategically from God uh, to really affect a lot of people that came in. Um, it's a Roman colony. And so kind of what was taking place uh, at this time uh, the, the people would worship the Roman Empire and his wife, the emperor and his wife. They worshiped them. Also, there is an Egyptian culture there. So there's a lot of worship of the Egyptian gods as well, too. So here's this church in Philippi. Um, they have these cultural issues. Um, they have a lot of people coming in and through. And Paul just loves this church. He loves these people because they've really kept in track uh, with being Christ-minded. You're going to hear that. And a really encouragement for us, I want us to hear how to be Christ-minded and for us to be a church that does the same as we see here in Philippi. And another thing to note is Paul's in prison. And Paul's in prison and he's talking about, I want you to share with me and my joy. And I just think about, you know, what makes us upset. Um, Next week you're going to hear a whole lot more about Belize. We're going to have some time and share. We just got back from a trip with a bunch of teenagers uh, but the one thing that really challenged our team and myself, um, here in America, I really believe we're, we're spiritual dep- deprived. Uh, we have so much that we're not really in tune spiritually with Jesus the way we need to be. Uh, we're consumed with everything around us that we're not focused on Christ because as you see my friends in Belize and the children in Belize, they have nothing but those that have Jesus, that's all they need. And they have the biggest smile on their face And there's us with everything, but we don't have that joy. It's because we're not Christ-minded enough. Uh, We're really not letting Christ become our all in all. And so I want to learn through, well, let's walk through Philippians and just see what we need to take away from today, let God's word teach us. Um, Let's just, let's pray for a moment. Father, I just thank you for this book. I pray that uh, the rest of this week we'd finish out, we'd read chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, and that God, you'd speak to us through your holy scriptures. And I just pray that this would be a moment in time we can learn and grow in you through your word together as a family. And we just ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. 
Um, I'm just going to walk us. I'm going to read through 1 through 11, and then uh, we'll come back and we'll break it apart. Um, So here we go. This is on page 981 in your pew Bibles. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of, point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of the God, the Father. And what we see in the first few passages here, we see there's this fellowship, there's this community that's taking place in the church of Philippi, and Paul just loves it. He loves them He loves their heart for one another. He loves how they're with each other. He loves how they're living for Jesus. And just to walk over it again. So here's Paul. Remember, Paul's in prison for sharing the gospel. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being the same mind. He is calling them, continue, be Christ-minded. As you do that, my joy is complete as I see you living and and loving Jesus and and living for his truth. Continue to do that, and my joy is made complete by your actions for Christ. And I want you to see, there's, this is what we need to understand. We live in a culture, and and we need to learn how through Christ to counter, to be counterculture. To understand that this is what the world can offer, but this is what our Jesus offers. And what Jesus offers is comfort from love. Uh, participation in the Spirit. This is really neat. I think it's a, it's a reality for us uh, that, God, what are you doing today? And God, I want to be in step with you. God, I want to go love others today. I want to be in your word today. God, I want to walk the way you walk. I want to talk the way you talk. I want to be on the same footsteps And I think it's a beautiful thing that we can do each day by saying, God, where are you today? Let me understand how I can walk for you today. And the greatest way for us to know what God's up to is by spending time in his word. And I know for a fact, and this is, I just want to call us out, myself, and encourage us. It's really critical. If we're going to be Christ-minded, we've got to be in God's word each day. Not every now and again, but we've got to be in God's word. Because if we're not in God's word, the times the events, the things that are taking place in our culture, they begin to set our course. And we're in a day and time where we as Christians, we as a church, we've got to take a stand and say, no, we are not going to accept some of the things that this world is calling us to do. We are going to take a stand. We're going to stand for Jesus. We're going to hold the ground. Uh, Jesus also said, the kingdom of God forcefully advances and forceful men lay hold of it. This is not a passive faith. This is not a faith where we shrink 
and we just say, Jesus, come back, and I'm going to wait till you come back, and I'm just going to hold in. No, Jesus tells us to get in his word, to be like-minded in Christ, and to go advance. We've become too passive. There's two words that I see all over the place. I see tolerant, and I see coexist. And those are great words. Those are nice words. But as I think about Paul being in chains in prison, I don't think he was too concerned about coexisting with other faiths. I think he was concerned about, you need to know Jesus. I don't think he was too concerned about, oh, we're, we're, just, we're all going to be happy together and one day we're going to go to heaven and God's love and because God is so much love, it's all going to be okay. I don't think that was his concern. I don't think that was Christ's concern. His concern was, I am truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is absolute truth. And we as Christians, we've got to wrap our minds around that. We've got to be in God's word and learn how to stand in that. And yes, some of us come from different denominations. And yes, some of us may have different viewpoints on certain things. But I encourage us, it's really critical that we stop saying our opinions and all of us get here together and see what God wants to teach us together as a family. And stop with the opinions. We need to share the life of Christ through his word. Not because this makes me feel better or I can twist this to make this fit in culture. Jesus isn't concerned about us fitting in culture. Actually, he wants us to be set apart from culture. He wants us to be different. He wants people to lean in and see what we're about. And what's happening here in this church is they're one accord. They're doing nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, they count others more significant than themselves. They're loving and serving others. There's people that are worshiping false gods in their culture, and they're coming alongside of them, and they're praying for them, and they're sharing with them Christ's love. So we can coexist, but we've got to make sure when we coexist, we are speaking our Jesus. That we just don't sit there and say, that's a good point, and say, maybe it is a good point, but you know what? Let me talk a little bit about Christ. And the reason that we know the word is absolute truth it's really clear. It's really simple. And no other religion, no other belief has it. Jesus once was dead, and three days later he rose again. And there just happened to be over 500 eyewitnesses who saw this. Nobody else has that. Nobody else can make that claim. Jesus proved to us that his word is real and true and that he is alive. And that we need to stand for that. It's really critical we get that. And we as a church, we need to do some of the things that are being talked about here. They were together. Their minds were on Christ. You know, I just, I just got back from being in Belize, and we had a team of students and leaders that our mindset was Jesus and to share Jesus. And because of that, we had a fellowship with each other. Because of that, we had a joy. We had a, a, an ethic of work. Parents, for your kids that went on this trip, you would never believe how hard they worked. You probably would be blown away by that and think your kid couldn't do that. Uh, but they did incredible things. We had incredible conversations. We had incredible times of prayer. We had incredible times of learning. Our students put their cell phones away, and they actually did something. They faced each other, and they talked to each other. And as they faced and talked to each other, they laughed a lot. And they realized, this is really fun to sit down and talk to somebody. This is pretty incredible. Because what's happening, even in us, we have a family function, and maybe you were at the 4th of July together. I'm watching fireworks, and I see families on their phone. I'm like, fireworks? 
And what we got to understand, God has called us in the fellowship. I'm not calling technology as an evil, but we've got to learn how to use it for the right things for God. And because the enemy is sliding and he's immersing our world to be consumed with these little boxes we look at we never get our eyes off of. He's consuming us so that we don't have fellowship because when we have fellowship with each other and we're about Christ, something amazing happens. I, uh, 23 of us can be on an airport waiting for a plane and we are laughing and we are having fun and we're talking about God and we're talking about Jesus. And you know what everybody else in that airport is starting to do? Why are they having fun? Why are they laughing? What are they about? And conversations begin to take place. And then it's, a, 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 I call this effect, I call it a lean-in effect. All of a sudden they lean in and they see what we are about. And they see Jesus. And we as Old North, that's what we need to be about. We need to get in his word. Understand how we need to live for Christ. Live in this world. Live in the communities that we're in. Live in the culture that we're in. But don't live like it. And be like Christ and be set apart so they see our Jesus. It's an incredible thought that we need to really wrap our minds around and pray about. Verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And so the passage goes from, let's look at the people in Philippi, let's look at their community together, let's look at their Christ-likeness together, let's look at their mindset. And now Paul is saying, let's look at Jesus, let's look at his humility, let's imitate his humility Let's live in his service. And Paul is encouraging us that we need to live like Christ and we need to go serve and have a joy when we serve because when we serve, others see Jesus. When we get with people and we help them and we talk to them and we pray with them and we share them God's word, their lives can be changed. And that's what we need to be about. And it's really powerful. There's... So he, in verse 7 he said, But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Jesus was God. Jesus had all authority. He could have came to this earth. He could have done anything he wanted to do. He could have took power and government or any of those things. But yet he came and he served. He emptied himself. He gave us an example not to be like this world, but to flip this world and show them our Jesus to be counterculture, he became nothing so that the glory of God could pour out through his life. And for us, we've got to learn and we've got to ask God to empty ourselves so that when our friends and our family and those around us see us, they see the living Christ Jesus in us. That they don't see us anymore, that they see Jesus. And it's really critical we can come to church and we can do this thing over and over and over again. We can hear the word of God, but we need to respond to the word of God. And what I'm asking you to respond to today is saying, God, empty myself. Let me be a servant of all. And if you're bored in your faith, I dare you today to say, God, empty me and let me be a servant like you. And see where that goes. You're not going to be bored anymore, I guarantee you that. You will not be bored. It'll be exciting. It might be even a little scary, but it'll be joyful. And you'll see God's hand at work because you realize it's God in you. 
God's in you. When you believe in Christ as your Lord and Savior, he's within us. And when we empty ourselves, there's more of him, and it gets exciting. And there might be hard times, but you know you're standing for Christ. And as I started, uh, I've been doing youth ministry for almost 15 years, been here almost 11 years. It's unbelievable. Time has went so fast. But when I started in student ministry, there was such this battle for teenagers. There was such this war going on for teenagers to redirect them from God. It's still going on, but the thing that's alarming to me, and I'm asking you, church, to stand the ground, to empty yourself. Ask God to empty yourself so you can stand and you can serve and you can love and you can be a role model and a mentor. The, the, the fight now is it's for our kids. It's for our kindergartens. It's for our third graders. The, the enemy's doing a low blow on us. He... he he, he's fought this fight. He, he's been tearing apart husbands and wives and us adults. And, and he's, he's, he's been whooping up on our teenagers. And now he's saying, I'm going for the kids. Well, you know what we need to start saying? Not on our watch. This is a time that God has given me here to live for him. And you know what? Enough's enough. You know, and the culture can say what they want to say. They can say, be selfish. They can say, you can believe whatever you want and it's okay. Just don't harm me. Well, you know what? We need to say, I'm going to teach Jesus. I'm going to live out Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, guess what? We might not agree, but this is truth. And when people hear that, they might not like it. But you know what they're going to start thinking about? Hmm. Is this Bible really real? Is this God really real? We might not be their best friends. But we're going to serve them, and we're going to love them, and we're going to show them what Jesus says. And as we open this up and we share this, God goes. Isn't that really cool? I'm not teaching you right now. God's teaching you. Because we opened up the word and we're letting the word be taught. Amen? It's an incredible freedom that we have and we need to share it everywhere we go. But this, uh, this beauty of, of humility that Christ portrays for us, he empties himself. And he's not trying to be the greatest. He's just serving. His whole goal and his whole purpose was to show us how to live a life and give glory to his father every moment of his life. We all need to stop pleasing people to get attention. We need to stop trying to be a part of this group. We need to live to give honor and glory to only one. And that's our heavenly father. And as we do that, the rest of those relationships, they all just work out. It's pretty amazing how that is. When God's your focal point, everything else falls in line. It's an incredible promise that God gives us. His ways, not our ways, his ways. When we focus on this relationship or we focus on this issue, we're losing out. But when we focus on Christ, he takes care of it. That's our God. That's our Savior. That's our comforter. That's the one who walks with us, the one who is a part of us. He humbled himself. And he humbled himself to the point of death. And the verse goes on to say, even death on the cross. And why that's significant? Because... Dying on a cross was very shameful. That was for criminals. That was for murderers. That was the shame of all shame, the sin of all sin. And Jesus died on that cross to take the shame of all, the sin of all. And I say, I love you. And I'm going to be obedient to my Father. And I'm going to follow him no matter what it calls. And I'm going to do it so that you can be saved of your sins and have eternal life and have live in this glory with me in heaven for eternity he took on the death of the most shameful way to give us life. And something really important here, this word obedience, it's not about an emotion, it's not about a feel, 
It's about knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and living this obedient life. When he calls us to love others, we love others. When he calls us to pray for others, we pray for others. We don't go have a Bible study and how to pray and how to love others. We just love and we pray each other. You got it? It's really important. We need to understand. We need to have that study. But we got to stop studying, 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 and studying. And we got to start walking, walking, walking. You get what we're saying? We can study, 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 which is really important. But that's why Christianity gets boring to us because we just sit and study. This is an action. This is emptying ourselves so that God is within us. And God says, this person, go. This person, go. Go pray with your kids. Go pray with your wife. Go talk to the teacher. Go talk to your coworker. Because this is what this is calling us to do, not just to sit. The Great Commission, therefore, go. We got to study and we got to go. So I pray today that we read and then you apply. It's calling us to be like-minded. It's calling us to be Christ-minded. It's calling us to, to empty ourselves so we can have the humility of Christ. It's calling us to be obedient. So don't mishear me. Please study. But as you study, you got to put it into practice. And you got to empty yourself so God can help you put it into practice. Does that make sense? Because we're not going to put it into practice on our own. It's only when we ask God to empty ourselves. You can't empty yourself. Only God can empty you. Jesus, humble me. Jesus, empty me in myself so more of you live in me. And so I just want to encourage us this whole idea of obedience. And then I want to skip down to 14 and 15, and then we'll finish up here in uh, 10 and 11. But I just want to encourage us, this is not easy as well, but when we get to this place, this is how we make an impact in this dark world that we live in. Verse 14 and 15. In a little bit of 16. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as light, lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. We got to hold on to this. Well, we got to stop making the Bible to say what we want it to say. We've got to read the Bible and let the Bible speak to us and do and be obedient to what the Bible tells us. Not because we don't want to offend someone. Not because, well, I, this is easier for me if I justify. No. Let the Word of God speak to you. And sometimes it hurts. Anybody know what that's like? When you read God's Word and it cuts in? Because it's His Spirit working. We need to let it be truth. We need to hold to this. And as we hold to this, we are light in a very dark place. In our culture, in our societies, there are things that we don't like. There is darkness. That's nothing new. Paul wrote this way back then, right? And he said, we live in a crooked and twisted generation. Anybody want to agree that we live in a crooked and, and twisted generation today? Absolutely. But we don't have to be afraid of it. We need to stand up in it for Christ. That's when it gets fun. That's when it gets exciting. That's when it gets challenging. But that's why we exist, to stand for the King of Kings, to know him and stand for him and let Christ do his work through us. We don't do the work. We just got to say, God, empty me. Empty me so there's more of you, and I'm going to follow you. I'm going to be obedient to you. And so Jesus became the lowest because he became the greatest servant. Let's pick up in verse 10 and 11. 
So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In all reality, we have people that say, there's many ways to get to heaven. My view is okay because God is love. Well, God is love. You are correct. But he says every tongue will confess, every tongue, that I'm Lord Jesus Christ and Savior. And every knee is going to bow. That doesn't mean they're all going to get to heaven, does it? That means they're going to acknowledge Jesus is who it is. And at that point, it's heaven or it's hell. And when that person said, but God, you're love, don't we all get here? He's going to say, I am so much love that pride and sin can't enter in here. Because this is for my people. And I'm going to protect them. And they're going to live in this glory. And they're going to see me face to face. And because you wanted to be your own God, that can't come here. I'm sorry. My presence, my spirit has been given. My word has been given. And I've been pursuing you since the day you were born. And you decide to be your own God. Read Romans chapter 1. It explains it all beautifully. And so God is love. Sin can't be where love is. That's what heaven's going to be about. Perfection in Christ. And, and darkness and pride and selfishness can't be there. And so we need to understand and acknowledge, are you ready? Are you ready to bow your knee before the king and confess who he is? And is he going to look at you and say, you're my faithful servant because you believed I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way except to the Father through me. And so God is calling us, and I call you as God is calling us to begin to bow our knee to him, to ask him to empty ourself. As I was in Belize and we went to a church service in custom, if you ever go to Belize, be ready, especially if you're a pastor, because I sat down and they said, hey, we want you to preach tonight. What? I just, uh. but as I sat there and I got that, they have a concrete floor. You know what they're doing on the concrete floor? Their knees are on that concrete floor praying. We've become way too comfortable, church. Are we praying for our friends? Are we on our knees? We've become way too comfortable. I was so convicted to see these people on their knees. When's the last time we were on our knees praying for someone? That was tough for me. And so I ask us, we need to empty ourselves. God, empty us, because every knee is going to come before our king, and every tongue is going to confess. And Jesus lived a life to honor God in everything he did. Is your life honoring God? And that's between you and him. We're going to have a time to reflect in communion on that. And we're going to hear a story. Jeff, won't you come up? Um, I got to, personally, I witnessed this. And this man, he almost met his maker. And he's got a story to tell us. It's pretty incredible. Thanks, Sean. Um, I guess I'm here this morning. I emptied myself a little bit. And I'm going to do it again in this service, too. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about... Uh, April 30th of this year. Uh, it was an interesting day for me. Um, it's the day that my daughter refers to as the day that her daddy died. Um, 
for about 15 minutes that day, uh, I was technically, technically gone uh, and dead. I need to back up a little bit. I'm not going to back up to my childhood because we don't have enough time for that today. But uh, I'll back up to that morning, April 30th. I woke up. It was a typical day. Um, woke up, brushed my teeth. I hope I kissed my wife that morning. I can't guarantee that I did, but I tried to. Um, and got ready to go about my day. It was a little bit of a different day. Uh, once a year, I have to go out and get some pigs for uh, our younger kids for 4-H for the Canfield Fair. So I did a lot of running that day. Uh, picked up the pigs, came home, took a shower. You definitely need to take a shower after doing that. Um, and sort of went about my day, went, did a few errands. And then I went to our church softball practice. It was our first one of the year. It was out at uh, High Point Church out in Struthers, which is where we have our, our games. Felt fine. I'm doing some fielding work and playing at second base a little bit, you know, having a good time. Then I came up to bat, and I'm hitting some balls. I'm hitting about a, probably a dozen shots. Actually, it's hitting pretty good, don't you think, Sean? I do. I was excited. <laughs> and uh, Sean was pitching. He's giving me some nice pitches. And then he, he pitched one, came in a little bit inside. It all starts with my bad pitch. It all starts with this bad pitch. I didn't hit him, though. He didn't hit me. I'm fine. Um, but I got, all of a sudden, I, I remember smiling, thinking, oh, it's coming inside. I'll back up. Maybe I'll swing at it. Well, I sort of did swing at it. But at that moment, I got dizzy just for a second or two. And the next thing I know, I was gone. I was just I don't even remember hitting the ground. That's how quickly I, I lost it. Um, the next part, I can only tell you by what these guys told me. Uh, but basically, I, I was on the ground. No heartbeat, no breathing, no pulse, nothing. I was just... <laughs> I was at God's mercy at that point. And... I tell you today that he had that whole day orchestrated because of all the places you would want to be if you had a cardiac arrest, would you think, eh, yeah, maybe out in Struthers at a baseball field, not anywhere near uh, medical help. But God had a couple of guys on that team, um, Matt Miller and uh, Jack McDonald were there, and they started to perform CPR on me, compressions, breathing, and... Uh, I, I still remember later in that day, uh, Matt coming to me and telling me that up to that point, he had only had CPR training like five years ago, never been recertified, only had done it on a dummy. Well, even after that day, sorry, Matt, you've still only done it to a dummy, but that's, that's okay. Um, but they kept working on me. 10, 15 minutes are going by. They're still working on me. In the meantime, Sean's calling my wife to tell her what's going on, and he, he tells her. He says, Patty, I, I really hate to be making this phone call, but, you know, it's not good. And my, my wife's first response, who's praying for my husband? And uh, Sean said everyone is. And... Um, but he said, he's gone, Patty. It's, it's, it's not good. My wife then says, 
keep praying, God raises the dead. And I just, I, I gotta say how fortunate I am, first off, to have a wife of such faithfulness and uh, to believe and, and to have the first thing come out of her mouth being that, are you praying for my husband? So they keep working on me. She hands the phone over to my daughter and she's talking to Sean. In the meantime, an ambulance comes. They have a portable AED unit very similar to what we have at our church here. They put the patches on me and they shock me back and my heart starts beating again after about 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, all I can say is at that point, it was almost like somebody turned on a TV set, like my, my vision started to come back into focus. I started to see people around me. And um, <laughs> the strange thing is, after this whole ordeal, the first thing that happens is the, the, the EMT people are telling me, we had to cut your shirt off so we could get access to you and start working on you. And my first comment is, you guys cut my Indian shirt up? <laughs> so, so while he's gone for 15 minutes, and, and, and I don't want to... Yeah, no, I mean, go. He was gone. And uh, the things that I saw, I pray I never see again in a person. Uh, you know, and so our prayer is, all right, let's, God, please protect his mind. Because normally that long with no oxygen, there's some brain damage that's going to take place. And first thing, he's cracking jokes. We're like, <laughs> hallelujah, praise the Lord. And I did find out later that, I mean, you know, like I said, where's a good place to have a cardiac arrest? Well, I'll tell you right now, on a, on a baseball field with a bunch of Christian guys that are all praying over you. Well, after I start cracking jokes and Craig Barth is in the background. I hear him saying, hey, Jeff, don't worry. I'll get you a new shirt. I'll get you a Yankees shirt. And I just looked at it. And I'm, no, I'm not going to wear that thing. But, uh, but they, they put me on the ambulance. They're rushing me to the hospital. I'm cracking jokes with the, the people on the, on the ambulance. And in the meantime, they had, you know, one minute my wife is hearing I'm gone. The next minute they're telling my daughter, He's joking around. So they're going to the hospital. It was in the same phone call that, yeah, that same, took place. Same phone call. And so they put, you know, they're rushing me to the, ambulance, or to the uh, emergency room. The only pain I felt at that time were my ribs were a little sore from the compressions. Thank you, Matt. Good job. I appreciate it. And um, Matt's word. There's a lot of cracking on it. <laughs> it was a lot of cracking, I hear. And, and my leg hurt from here down because of... Uh, IV that they put in, and I'll let Bo Tiger tell you about that someday. You can ask him the details, but it's not for today. Um, but my family met in the emergency room waiting area. They set up an area for them. And what's the, what's the thing that they're doing? They're praying. Mm -hmm. More prayers. Um, I asked them once I got to the emergency room, did I still have my cell phone with me? So they're not completely evil. Cell phones can be good, too. Um, I texted my wife. I texted her that I love her. I texted her that I was still alive just to let her know and let her calm down a little bit because they still hadn't been able to come back to see me. I did two things that I hate. I hate selfies and I hate group texts. Uh, I took a selfie and group texted it to all my kids so they could see me back there. In your beautiful gown you're wearing. <laughs> and, uh, 
So they eventually let my family come back to see me a little at a time. Then Pastor Sean and Matt and Bo were able to come back, and they saw me. And Sean was able to relate to me that after they took me away in the ambulance, that they did sit down and pray some more. And he got to basically tell these guys all on the team there, you don't know when your time is up. It could be today. It could be next week. It could be years from now. But you need to make sure you're right with the Lord, and you just need to make sure you've got your life right with him. Um, And it hit me. No matter what happened to me at that point, I didn't know what my future was holding then, but all I knew is whatever happened, it was worth it. If one person was touched, if one person was saved, it was all worth it. So they did some tests on me the next day, told me I had 200% blockages, 170% blockage, and I was going to need a quadruple bypass. They scheduled it for that following Monday, so I spent that weekend at the hospital. You wouldn't believe the amount of witnessing I was able to do there. The Lord just really blessed me. I had doctors and nurses and some patients, but the doctors and nurses in particular, the whole time telling me, you don't, you don't understand what you've been through, do you? And I'm, okay, well, they said you shouldn't be alive. They didn't come out and say it was a miracle. I know it was, but they wouldn't say it. But it gave me and my wife an opportunity to witness to them and say, you know, they would say, oh, you were lucky, or oh, something must have been looking out for you. And we would be able to point and say, no, we know what happened. We know God was looking out for me. Um, And again, family and friends came and visited me over the weekend and prayed some more. One thing that hit me real quick, I know a number of people have said when they've seen me and knew what happened afterwards, you know, they say, oh, here's the miracle man or here's the walking miracle. I just, I just want everybody to remember, I'm, I'm nothing. God is everything. Um, I was weak. He was strong. It, I, I feel very humbled when people do say that to me, though. But just remember, all the praise goes to him. The night before surgery, Pastor Sean and Pastor Rick, uh, Craig Barth, a couple other friends came by, and they showed up, and we talked and prayed some more. We had a very moving prayer uh, service together about what was going on and, and for protection. And At one point, Craig had said something about praying for my heart, to fix my heart, asking God to make my heart right. I only assume he meant physically at that time, but I've got to tell you, the Lord did more than just that. He, he fixed my heart spiritually. He's, he's brought my wife and my family closer than ever. And miracles are just, just keep happening. Um, Craig also asked me that, that night before surgery, he asked me if I heard him on the playing field that week before, the couple, few days before, I guess he and Bo Tiger were walking, pacing over me. These guys are all praying over me. And I guess they started yelling. I mean, just literally yelling at me saying, you know, come back. You've got a, you've got a family. You've got your wife and kids. And he asked me if I heard him. And I, I felt bad, but I said, no, I, I really didn't. I was just completely gone. And then it hit me a few days later I didn't need to hear him yelling and praying and screaming over me. 
because God heard his pleas and he and he made a difference. And prayer just made it made a huge difference. I had my surgery and prayers continued to come in. My wife had called people, people from church, uh, friends and family members, and uh, Facebook even. And strangely enough, um, the night after my surgery, Lori Allen private messaged my wife and said she was woken up in the middle of the night, the night after my surgery, and she was prompted to pray for me. She didn't know why. And uh, I was spiking a two, like a 103 temperature that night. I was awake all night. They had me packed in ice to bring my fever down and to help stabilize me and my blood pressure and everything. And God answered prayer again. Um, he sent me two living angels. My, my wife was there all night with me by my side. And he sent an, uh, a nurse named Deva who basically just worked her, worked her heart off that night, keeping me and my vitals uh, and getting me back to normal. Again, more prayers were answered. I received a prayer shawl from the church. I thank you ladies who, who did that and you prayed over that shawl. I used that during my recovery. I would literally have it blanketed over me and I literally felt covered in prayer when I, when I was using that. One of the first weeks I came back here to church after my recovery, um, there was a song and literally I just, every day I wake up now I make sure I pray with my wife. I make sure I give her a kiss. I make sure I thank God, whether it's raining or not. And we had a lot of <laughs> rain this last month. But a song sort of touched me because I think of everything differently now. But when, when this song happened, it was the, this one line was, Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. It takes on a whole, whole new meaning for me now. Um, just to close, I just want to make sure that I tell you and you, you just, just understand that prayer is real. It, prayers are answered and it is tangible what, what prayer can do for somebody. Just make sure you're praying for your, your family, your church, your friends, even people that you don't know. Raise them up in prayer. It may make a difference for them. And I also want to thank my church family for praying for me during this, this whole event. And my prayer right now is that if anyone in this church is not a Christian and needs to come to the Lord, put their faith in him, or even if you're just a lukewarm Christian who just is sort of going through life and just needs to rededicate yourself to the Lord, please do it now because you don't know if you're going to have a tomorrow to do it. Thank Amen. you. Thank you, brother. Um, and just uh, and amazing as we look at God's word, Christ changes things, right? That's our king, and that's why we need to stand for him. And now we're entering a time of reflection of what Christ has done for us. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And as we take communion, let's think about that and get ourselves where we need to be with Christ. Ask him to get us there. We can't get there. Only Christ can get us there. And let's ask him to empty ourselves so there's more of him. Lord, we just thank you uh, 
for this day. We thank you for Jeff and his family. We thank you for what you've done. Um, it's a reality that, God, you're here. You walk with us. You do miracles. Sometimes they, they work the way we want them to work, and sometimes we don't understand uh, when they don't work the way we want them. But, God, you're in control and your love, and you're called us to obedience, obedience to your cross, obedience to your life. And so, Father, let this time just be a moment to give you praise and thanks and, and ask for forgiveness of our sins and, and realize you are the remedy. You are the one who changes for your glory, Father. So be with this congregation, be with this people, and let us be appreciative of who you are, God. And we ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen.